It is good to see you all again tonight, and I pray the Lord will bless our study in His Word. I'd like you to open your Bibles with us to the 21st chapter of the book of Revelation, the last two chapters of the inspired Word of God deals with the newness of life, the newness of our existence, a new heaven and a new earth that Peter says, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Tonight I'd like us to read the first eight verses of this wonderful chapter and draw some uh, thoughts, uh, not only for our study here tonight, but when you go home and and go back through some of the references that we hope to present, that you'll, you'll be blessed in a mighty way in your faith and your walk with Christ. While we wait for these things to come to pass. John writes, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving, and the abominable and murderers, and whoremongers and sorcerers, and idolaters and all liars, shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. There are several important things that I'd like to cover tonight. That's why I stopped reading at verse 8. Verse 8 is kind of a very sobering verse, isn't it? Because what it's doing is revealing the character of the damned. Those that will not be in heaven. Those who will not be in the presence of God, but will be subjected to eternal separation and suffering from the living God. This is the last reference in the whole Bible to fire and brimstone. The last reference that you'll read about in the Word of God. Do you remember the first reference? The very first time you read about fire and brimstone. 
is in Genesis chapter 19, verse 24, when God rained down upon Sodom and Gomorrah in the cities of the plain, fire and brimstone. My wife and I, when we were at the Dead Sea, were able to, to witness, we were able to see the minerals that they gather. They actually mine uh, the Dead Sea for these minerals. And among those minerals is a high concentration of brimstone of sulfur and uh, that's a lasting testimony to the reality of that judgment that we read about in Genesis chapter 19 much could be said on that but tonight I want us to focus upon this this uh, occurrence a new heaven and a new earth now the word new uh, sometimes speaks of chronology it's it's a, a Greek term that talks about new in order of time. But that's not the word that's used here. The word that's used here for new is that which is refreshed, that which is renovated, that which is restored. So the newness that we're talking about is something that is very important to us as God's people to look forward to. Uh, to look forward to what it means to live or exist eternally in a new heaven and new earth. One that is a restoration of what was originally designed by God in the Garden of Eden. And there's a connection between these two. In Genesis chapters 1 and 2, we read about the creation uh, of the heavens and the earth. And remember, God pronounced it good, yea, very good. But then something happened in creation. Do you remember? In Genesis chapter 3, we see the serpent coming to Eve and tempting her, and she succumbed to that temptation. And then death entered into the human experience. Uh, death, uh, separation. Um, I want you to recall that there were four elements to the curse that God pronounced upon Adam and Eve. There's four elements to it. And these four elements are going to be reversed in verse 4 of our study tonight when he says, God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are now what? They're, they're passed away. They're gone they are ultimately re removed. These four aspects of the curse that are recorded in Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, include sweat, sorrow, pain, and death. And isn't it interesting that Jesus Christ our Lord, who according to Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, was made a curse for us so that he would remove the curse from us um, I find it interesting that in Luke chapter 22 verse 44 his sweat dropped to the ground as it were great drops of blood because of the intensity of his uh, suffering in the garden of Eden uh, in the garden uh, of Gethsemane prior to his going to the cross 
In Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 through 12, we read where he carried our sorrows. He was wounded for our iniquities, and he poured out his soul unto death. So in, in what Jesus Christ did is reversing the curse that was placed upon Adam and Eve. He reversed it so that those things in eternity will not appear. They've been forever removed by the Lord Jesus Christ. But John is identifying himself for the very first time. Remember when we started our study in chapter 1, John said, I, John, saw these things. This is the first time that John mentions himself again in the whole letter. He saw some things that I want us to get a glimpse of tonight. See, there are people that believe that the new heavens and new earth is just spiritual. That's a spiritual lesson describing a spiritual condition that has nothing to do with physical reality. But I disagree with that, and I'll show you why. And I want you to know why. So what I want to do is go to a few verses very quickly in our study tonight to show you why I believe that the new heavens and the new earth are literal, physical realities. These are the things that you and I can look forward to. What we're describing tonight is what we refer to as heaven because it is uh, a life or an existence in the very presence of a holy God in a glorified body, a body that does not succumb to pain, sin, sorrow, or suffering. All of that's been done away. This is a part of the Christian hope. But let's understand why we believe it to be a literal reality. Go back with me very quickly to 2 Peter chapter 3. In 2 Peter chapter 3, he is going to relate to us the reality of this physical uh, uh, place, this physical city, this physical existence that we're so longing for tonight. Listen to what he says in verse 10 of 2 Peter chapter 3. He says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements uh, shall melt with a fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. That means all our toys, all our possessions, all the things that we fuss and fight over, all the things that men in their depraved condition uh, actually go to war for, all of that is going to be burned up. In verse 11, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? See, he's speaking to Christians. He's telling the Christian community that we don't need to live our lives uh, infatuated and possessed by the things, the material things of this world. Because all of these things are going to pass away. All of these things are going to be dissolved at the end of the age. Verse 12. Looking for and hastening unto. Hastening unto. Eagerly desiring. This is our hope. The coming of the day of God. Wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved. And the elements shall uh, melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, he says... 
in spite of that real judgment that is about to come upon this earth, nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. In other words, there's nothing there that reminds us of the curse that we experienced in Adam. Now, notice what he said. We, according to the promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth. When was that promise made? We could go back tonight to several of the Psalms, Psalm 102, 105, several Psalms that mention the recreation of a perfect heaven and habitation. But I want to go particularly to the book of Isaiah in chapter 65 and 67. This is where I believe Peter is quoting from. He's quoting from uh, the prophet Isaiah that lived 700 years before Christ. In Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17, listen. He says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. But be ye glad and rejoice forever in that which I create for behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing and her people a joy. That's what we can experience. Of what, that's, that's our expectation of what we will experience in this new heaven and new earth. And, uh, and notice chapter 66, Isaiah 66, verse uh, 22. He says, For as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make, shall remain before me, saith the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. You see, brothers and sisters, he's referring to his elect family. His elect family are going to be with him in the new heavens and the new earth. Now that, that ought to rejoice our hearts tonight. That, that ought to help us a little bit in our, our journey here below. We need to remember the words of Jesus Christ and the Olivet Discourse as recorded in Luke chapter 21 verse 33 and Matthew chapter 24 verse 35. Jesus himself said these words, Heaven and earth shall pass away. Hard, that's not hard to understand. Heaven and earth will pass away. But my words shall not pass away. My promise shall not pass away. What has he promised? A new heavens and a new earth. He promised it. It's not going to pass away. It's not going to be undone. It's not going to be not done. It's going to come to pass. Because this is part of redemptive history. This is part of what God planned or purposed even before time began. See, God was not taken aback by the fall of Adam and Eve. God said, well, you know, Jesus, Son, and Holy Spirit, we got to go back to the drawing board and come up with a better decision, a better plan. You see, the God that we have is omniscient. He knows all. The God that we have and the Bible teaches us about is one that is omnipresent. That means He's everywhere present, Nowhere absent. He's even present in our tomorrow. We're not. Physically, it's impossible for us to exist in our tomorrow. 
But see, God's already there. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that kind of comfort? Doesn't that kind of strengthen you a little bit to know that whatever struggle, whatever challenge, whatever problem we have individually or collectively or as a nation and people, God's already there. And His strength and His grace is already there for us. I love to think about things like that. I, I think about what the Apostle Paul wrote in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, when he said, Thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thy hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest, and they shall wax old as doth a garment, as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. Now, brothers and sisters, that's an infallible promise. We, according to the promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth. I think about what Brother Nathan mentioned earlier in the song service um, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10, when Abraham looked for a city. You know, he's a tent dweller, but he looked for a city whose builder and maker is God. Isn't that amazing? He was looking for it by faith. Even back then, 1,500 years before Christ ever came, Abraham was looking for that city. Well, Revelation 21 is showing you that city coming down. That's why it's an exciting study. But you're not going to value that unless you really understand the new heavens and new earth, that it is a, a, an eternal reality. I think about that in the context of the first century church. They were looking for it then. Do you remember the question that they had for Christ before he ascended up into glory? Do you remember when uh, the disciples saw the resurrected Christ among them and, and Jesus was standing before them and, and, uh, and uh, they had a question. What was the question? Wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom unto Israel? Is that what you're about? And he says, it's not for you to know. The times are the seasons that God hath put in his hand, his power. He says you're going to have to wait a while. It's going to come. But it's, it's, you're, you're going to have to wait a while. And then what did Jesus do? Jesus ascended up into glory. They were watching him. I've got a, a drawing in the back of my Bible of what it must have looked like. You know, the apostles looking up, Jesus ascending up from them. You know, can you imagine? You know, he went about 12 inches up and then about three feet up and then about six and then eight. And then he just kept right on going up into glory. And I found a picture that I cut out and put in my Bible because they were just like that. Because that's what I would have done. And he ended, ascended into glory and sat down upon this throne that you're reading about tonight. He sat down as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, waiting for the day when the Father says, go get the bride. Amen. Now you see why I'm excited about this study. Well, what does it mean here in verse 1 when it says, And there shall be no more sea. Do you realize that three-fourths of the surface of the earth is water? Do you realize that? 
It's salt water. It's sea. But in the new heavens and new earth, there's no more sea. It, it's going to be um, a return to the original design of the earth to be inhabited by a people that have fellowship and communion with God because there's no more sin. There's no more unrighteousness. There's no more ungodliness. There's no more Satan. Remember, Satan, the false prophet, and the Antichrist have been cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, right? And all the wicked are going to be there with them. So here is an existence of total perfection. And uh, there's no need for the sea. Uh, there's going to evidently be an Eden-like restoration of fresh water that will feed and nurture the land upon which the people live. In fact, in the next chapter, you read about the pure river of life. Now, let's understand this. I, John, saw it. He was so excited. He wanted us to know that it, this wasn't hearsay. This wasn't something that somebody told him, somebody said. This is something that John saw while he was on the Isle of Patmos. I, John, saw it. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven. And here's the key word. Prepared. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. That's a key word. Because this word conveys the concept of predestinated. Uh, preordained. When Jesus said in John chapter 14 and verse 2, In my Father's house there are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. I want you to understand something with me tonight. He did not go to prepare a place for a people that he didn't know. You following me? He didn't say he was going to go there and prepare the possibility for a people that he didn't know to get there. The word prepare is a very, very strong term that means simply that uh, he knows who is going to be in the Father's house. In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you that where I, uh, uh, and if I go, I will return and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. The you there, the you may be also are the people that were known by God before time even began. That's why the word prepare is so important. And brothers and sisters, can I submit something to you? And I'm not trying to be ugly tonight. But can I say something very plain and clearly uh, to you tonight about the word prepare? There's not going to be one empty chair in heaven. There's not going to be one empty spot. Those that were chosen in Christ before time began were redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and those are going to be with Him in eternity without the loss of one. And I rejoice in that. That's part of the gospel. That's the good news. Well, let's go on. 
There's no more sea. It's going to return to an Eden-like condition. This material universe is going to be uh, ultimately destroyed and, and replaced uh, in God's uh, own perfect plan. Here's the city, uh, New Jerusalem, that's coming down from God out of heaven. And, and then he uses the word bride. And the bride, I believe this is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the bride uh, that uh, uh, we read so much about in the scriptures, the bride of Christ. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. This is the bride. The bride is the Lamb's wife, according to Revelation 21, verse 9. This bride has adorned herself. She's prepared. She's ready for the coming of the husband. It, 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 you know, recently we went to a wonderful wedding and there was a, a wonderful illustration, a picture of the bride coming to the husband. But now, my brothers and sisters, the word of God is teaching us, here comes the husband. Here comes the husband, Jesus Christ, and he's coming after his bride. And don't you sit there and, and, and think for a minute that he doesn't know who his bride is. Isn't that ridiculous? Isn't that a ridiculous teaching? He knows exactly who she is. And he knows her by name. John chapter 10. He knows his sheep by name. And they follow him. Why? Because they know his voice. What's his voice? It's the voice of the husband. It's the voice of the shepherd. Jesus Christ. <laughs> As a bride... Adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven. Can I ask you a question? Are you ready? I wonder if we're ready. For the coming of the husband. We need to be working toward that, don't we? We, we need to be working in our life to be ready for Christ to come at any moment. I believe that's part of what Jesus was teaching in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 25. Uh, no, uh, Matthew 24, verses 1 through 15. That, that uh, him coming and uh, remember the ten virgins and the, the, the lamp and, and five were foolish and five were wise. Do you remember that story? I don't want to be one of the unwise. I, I want to be one of the wise ones that are waiting for the bridegroom, that are waiting for his coming, because we don't know when he's coming. But we do know that he is. And the commandment is to watch unto prayer, because you know not what when the bridegroom comes. We need to be ready. We need to be ready. That means making the right moral choices. That means making a consciously, intentionally living our lives as though Christ could come at any time. That's a wonderful way to live life. And I heard a great voice, verse 3, out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. Now the word tabernacle comes from a Greek word that means place of abode. Now when we study the Old Testament scriptures, we read about the tabernacle, don't we? 
We read about that tabernacle that Moses was given command to construct. And, and it's a very curious study. It's a, it's, a, it's a beautiful study because it's descriptive. It's so descriptive of redemption. But have you ever thought or have you ever noticed how that in that Old Testament tabernacle and later in the temple itself, there would be the presence of trees, palm trees, palm branches. There would be fruit, pomegranate. There would be angelic beings. There would be cherubim. Uh, there would be the wings of angels. There would be a lot of symbolism that refers to heaven. But also, brothers and sisters, that refers to the Garden of Eden. Because those things were present in the Garden of Eden. So there's a connection between what we're looking forward to the future new heaven and the new earth and what we experienced in Adam and Eve in the first heaven and first earth. You see it? Behold, the tabernacle of God dwells with men now that's what happened in the garden of eden you know god was present in the garden and there was unbroken fellowship with adam and eve but when sin entered the picture that's when the curse came that's when the division came that's when man was cast out of the garden but now the redeemed family of god is welcomed back into that garden experience of fellowship with God himself. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 1 verse 23 that when, uh, when uh, the birth of Christ was being discussed, his name was Emmanuel. Do you remember what that name means? Emmanuel, God with us. When Jesus Christ came into this world, when he uh, came uh, in human form into this world John put it this way in John chapter 1 verse 14 he says the word the eternal word was made flesh and dwelt tabernacled among us and we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth John said that God dwelt or tabernacled with man in the person of Jesus Christ for 33 and a half years. But Jesus went back to glory. But now we're looking for his second return. And in this return, at the end of all of the judgments against the wicked, we're going to actually live and reign with Jesus Christ. And in that context, God is dwelling with us, and we are dwelling with God in one place. What a joy. <laughs> what a joy. And he shall dwell with them. And they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. And that's when God's going to uh, wipe away all the tears. Wipe away all the sorrow. Wipe away all the pain and all, all the death. That has invaded our circles from the time of Adam. He's going to take it all away. There's not going to be any cancer there. There's, there's not going to be any disease. Isn't that wonderful to think about? You know, folks are going to actually get along with each other. 
You know, like that one hymn writer said, to dwell above with the saints I love, oh, what a glory, but to live below with the people I know is quite another story. You see, we're looking forward to a time when there will be unity, perfect unity, perfect peace. I had a discussion this week with an individual you know, he's talking about why is there so many divisions? Why are there so many churches on every corner? And, and, it, and they all use the Bible. They all say they love the same Lord. They all uh, feel like they're going to the same place, but they just can't get along long enough to live in one body. See, I think that's part of the curse. I really do. I, I, I think that's part of the curse on the human race but one day that's going to be taken away and 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 people don't like us because uh, you know we like uh, the doctrine of election and predestination because they say that it's so unfair to everybody i mean why would god choose or you know that just doesn't seem fair that he would leave people out of his covenant relationship and there's actually going to be folks sent to hell why why would god do something like that, you know, that we reason in our minds like that that way. Well, brothers and sisters, what I'm talking about with you tonight is a habitation, is is an existence of perfect peace. There's not going to be dissension because there's not going to be our fallen nature. It's not going to be there. We're going to be just like Christ. I love 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, when he says, Behold, what manner of love is this that the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the children of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be made like him. Hallelujah. No more tear. No more sorrow. No, no more pain. No more curse. No, sir. We're going to be free from that. Verse 5, he says, And behold, he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. I, I make all things new. He's, he's not going to uh, uh, make uh, something that will not redound to his glory and reflect his image. All things are going to be new. And he said unto me, I want you to write these this for these words are true and faithful just like we read in chapter 3 verse 14 and chapter 19 verse 11 jesus christ is the true and the faithful witness and he says this is going to happen and you can trust in it it's going to happen it's true you know a lot of young people today are looking for the truth they are and i'm glad they're looking but the truth isn't in crt the, the, the truth isn't in socialism, communism. The, the, the truth is found in Jesus Christ. He, he is the measure of truth. And he's the one saying uh, uh, it's true and faithful. And I love this part in verse 6. He said unto me, it is done. You know what that, um, that expression is, is, is parallel to? In John chapter 19, verse 30, when Jesus was on the cross and he said, Tetelestai, when he said, it is finished, that's what he's saying here. 
It's done. It, it's performed. It's come about. It's come to pass. I am Alpha and Omega. Why, why Alpha and Omega? That's the beginning and the end of the Greek alphabet, right? That letter A, Alpha. And all the way to the end of the uh, Greek alphabet, we have Omega. You, you see, what, what Jesus is teaching us when he says, I am, think about this. The alphabet is important, isn't it? You know, we need to teach our children. The very first thing we need to teach our children, or should teach our children, is A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H. No, we, we teach them the letters. We teach them the alphabet. The reason we have to teach them the alphabet is because words are made up of letters. If I don't have the letters down, I can't identify the word properly. And, and then when you get that down, then the words are utilized to make sentences. And then the sentences can make paragraphs. And then the paragraphs and so on. But you've got to start with the alphabet. You've got to start with the foundation. Amen? Jesus said, I am the foundation. I'm Alpha. And I'm Omega. I'm the beginning. And I'm the end. Brothers and sisters, you will never find the fullness of meaning in your life until you trust in Him. Until you follow him. I am Alpha and Omega. The beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is thirsty. I, I, I wonder if we're thirsty tonight. I, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsting. For the knowledge of Jesus Christ. I'm thirsting. After the life of Jesus Christ. I'm thirsting for heaven. I'm thirsting to see. An end to all of the suffering. And the sorrow. And the and, 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 and the things of this world. I'm, I'm thirsting. And this is what he said. I'm going to give him the fountain of the water of life. And notice this little word. Don't miss it. Freely. That means you can't buy it. That means you can't earn it. That means you don't deserve it. That means I'm going to give it to you anyway. Just because I love you. I'm going to give it to you freely. He that overcomes. Here's the seventh reference to overcoming in, in the Revelation letter. Overcoming, overcoming. How do we overcome this world? According to 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5, we overcome by faith. Right? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our what? Our faith. So here he says, he that overcomes by faith will ultimately inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. This is the relationship of grace. This is the relationship that makes heaven possible. I'm going to tell you, brothers and sisters, I rejoice in this. Heaven, in, in its purest form, is going to be inhabited by the sons and daughters of God. 
those that were chosen in Christ before the world began, redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ the Lamb, regenerated by the Holy Spirit, called by the gospel of Jesus Christ to life of repentance and obedience. Those are the citizens of heaven. I'm going to close with this challenge to all of us. This is my closing challenge. I, I think we need to inspect our life and our life choices to see if I'm living my life today as a citizen of heaven or just merely as a citizen of earth. I want to live my life to where people can look at me and say, you know, that fellow, he's kind of an oddball. He, he, he's strange. He's different. Because, because you know, he, he's, he's, he's not, uh, he's not de depressed by and discouraged by the events of the day. He, he's, there's something different about, he, he's responding to loss and trial and, and, uh, and, and, and suffering in a different way than we do. Now, what do you got? Well, I'll tell you what I got. I got a view of the new heaven and the new earth wherein dwells righteousness. May this be our lot tonight. God bless you. Thank you for your attention.